Amen. If you have a Bible today, turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts, have we got any slides? All right. Acts chapter 20 and uh, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. When they had come to him, he said to them, You know that from the first day I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials, which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you, and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to begin this morning by us baking a cake together. That's something you didn't expect. I know that Luke, when he introduced this sermon, he usually has some story. I thought, I, I can't let him. I got to do that as well then. So we're going to bake a cake together. And uh, we got the flour, self-raising flour. We've got uh, sultanas, currants. We've got butter, non-salted butter. We've got uh, eggs. We've got spices. We've got cherries. We've got ground almonds. We've got almonds. We've got the lot. So we mix it all together and we cook this cake that comes out. There's a picture of one I did earlier. Uh, and we, we, we've got this cake. And we let it cool down, and we can't wait for the moment. We get the knife, and we start to slice it up. And we come to eat it. And you say, Rob, there's a missing ingredient. Now, if I ask you what it is, you should know. There's no sugar. You can't have cakes without sugar. Well, maybe you can have alternative, you know what I mean. You can't have care. There's a missing ingredient. And I want to speak to this morning on the subject, repentance, the missing ingredient. As much as sugar to the cake, repentance to our message is an important ingredient. You know, when you get, turn to the page of the New Testament, you get, it's not long before you get that character. We know it's John the Baptist on the scene in his, his camel skins and leather belt, and he's preaching from the wilderness of Judea. He's preaching, repent. And then, shortly later, Jesus begins his ministry after 40 days temptation in the wilderness. Comes out of the wilderness, the message of Jesus, repent. On the day of Pentecost, Peter is, the crowds have been moved by the preaching of Peter. They say, men and brethren, what should we do? Peter replies, repent. In Acts 20, and, uh, sorry, Acts 17 and verse 30, the Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens, and he says, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And it's like God commands. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, the writer to Hebrews is, is just reminding the, is the people he's writing to of the basics of the Christian faith. And he says, not laying again the foundation of repentance. So, I'm sure you agree with me as we look at those just selection, as and all, the selection of scriptures, we begin to see that repentance is a very important ingredient to our message. 
And yet, if we're honest, we don't hear about it. Or if we do, it's very much watered down. If you, even the Alpha Course, the internationally acclaimed Alpha Course, little mention of actual repentance. And yet it's clear to me, it's an important ingredient. Maybe it's because of bad press. Maybe because it, it has this idea of negativity. Uh, it's because perhaps people in the past said, you repent, you sinners. You know, quite sort of often said with some anger and whatever, maybe. But I began to look at this subject. I thought, well, hang on, let's look at it again. It's good to go back and look over things that you began to perhaps take for granted sometimes. I'm going to look back and say, is there something that I'm missing? Something in this message of repentance that uh, perhaps I've not seen before. And so I began to look back over the, those references we've just quoted from and began to look, what are they actually saying to us? It is something about repentance that we've not seen. And the majority of times I found was, yes, there is. So let's begin to take a look. Matthew chapter 3. We'll start with John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I need to get some, just do a very quick Bible study here. For every Jew living at that time and even before that time and since that time, the one thing they looked forward to was the coming of the Messiah. The coming of the Christ, the anointed one. To liberate Israel. And set up a great Israel, if you like, empire almost. You see, in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, Daniel is in captivity in Babylon, but Nebuchadnezzar the king has a dream, and it's only Daniel who's able to tell him the dream and then to give the interpretation. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel says, King, you saw a dream, and you saw a head of gold. You're the head of gold. After you comes another empire of silver, the arms, the chest, then of bronze, the thigh, the upper legs, and then the legs of iron, and then feet of iron and clay. But then in your vision, in your dream, you saw a rock not cut with hands. And that rock comes and smashes all those empires that have existed before. And the rock not cut with hands fills the whole earth. Let's just read it in, in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 and 45. It says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom will not be left to the people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Insomuch as you saw the stone cut, was cut out of the mountain without hands, and it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure. Wow. And along with that, any Jew that studied the Bible would have perhaps looked at scriptures like Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah 2, it goes into a bit more detail about this rule of God upon the earth. In Isaiah 2, verse 
2, verse 2 through to 4, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let's go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Wow, what a great time that's going to be. And they would look this, yes, the Lord is coming. That, that vision in, in Daniel is going to come and this is how it's going to happen. And then alongside that, they'd read other scriptures like Isaiah 35, about the wilderness shall blossom like the rose, and, 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 and they would think, wow, that's all part of it. And, and, and then in Micah chapter 4 and Zechariah 8, we, we could go on and on with all these, in a Bible study, with all these scriptures pointing to that glorious day when the, the Lord comes and reigns and rules, and every Jew believed for that day. At the time of John the Baptist, don't forget they were under Roman dominion. The country had been taken over by the Romans, and they knew that was the legs of iron in the, the prophecy in Daniel 2. And they thought, wow, this is it. Wow. And then John the Baptist comes on the scene, and they'd also read Isaiah 40, which is a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And they thought, wow, this is it. He's preparing the way for Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And the news got round, and everybody came. Wow, John, tell us more, tell us more. How do we get ready? You see, John gave them a reason to repent. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, for the rule of God that is within your grasp. They thought, right, John, we want to get ready. And John says, John had been brought up in this sort of ritualistic uh, washing with the Essens, the group of people of Essens that he spent time with, in the, we're told, in the deserts. And so he said, right, well, you're going to have to wash your sins away. We're going to do this symbolic washing by baptizing you. Not to be confused with believers' baptism, by the way. And so they came and they, were, they came for the symbolic washing. They want to be ready for the king. They had a reason to repent. And if you'd been alive then and you believed that, you think, I want to be ready. You'd want to repent. Because the king is coming. The king is coming. And so they came and they, they, they get baptized by John and they come out of the water. And then they confess all their sins that they believe they've been symbolically washed away. And then there comes a day when John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. What a day. And, and it's a, I don't want to Go off at a tangent, but Jesus comes. He's baptized. I want you to notice when you read it, it says Jesus came straightway up out of the water. He said to John, thus it becomes to fulfill all righteousness. And when Jesus baptized the other people, they confessed their sins. Jesus came straight up out of the water. He's spotless. He's pure. He's sinless. But anyway, so John gave them a reason to repent. So then we move on a little bit to Jesus now. That second reference I alluded to, I found in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus 
after his baptism, goes into the wilderness, fast 40 days, tempted by the devil, comes out of the wilderness. In Matthew 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, the kingdom of God, the rule of God is within your grasp. So what do we then go to see? What did that look like? Well, you find a bit later in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 24. Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Wow, what a beautiful thing. The kingdom of God been expressed by mighty miracles. The blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the oppressed being set free, the good news being shared. The liberating rule of God by the Son of God through the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Now, sadly, a lot of people didn't get it. Even John the Baptist, after he was arrested, put in prison, didn't get it. And he sent his disciples. He said, I'm having second thoughts. Jesus, are you the, the, the Messiah or are we going to look for someone else? Because we thought there was going to be an actual literal ruling and beat the Romans and you know, it's not happening. That's paraphrasing. That's what he's in effect saying. And Jesus replied to John the Baptist. If you want to read it, it's there in uh, Matthew 11, verse 3 to 5. Jesus replied to John the Baptist. Was, said to John's disciples, you can't tell him the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear. Hallelujah. The gospel, the good news has been preached. That's the kingdom. That's the kingdom that matters now. But even so, the people, they, they had this fixation. Look, we've got to smash the Romans. We've got to be liberated. We've got to be freed. So when Jesus comes into Jerusalem on, on Palm Sunday, they, they thought that. And they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, liberate us, free us. And when it didn't happen, they soon turned their words to crucify him. Crucify him. As I've often said, they, they failed to recognize that there's a greater tyranny than the tyranny of Rome. There's a greater tyranny than the tyranny of any of those empires. And that's the tyranny of sin and death. And what the people failed to see was that first Messiah must come, not to liberate us from Rome or any other tyranny, but to liberate us from sin and death. The Savior must come and, and suffer and die and go to the cross. They understood Isaiah 2. In Isaiah 35, but they hadn't read Isaiah 53, which prophesies of the suffering Messiah, that first he comes as a suffering Messiah, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the one who is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, chastisement for our peace was laid upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Oh, read Isaiah 53 and get the full picture of the suffering Messiah. Didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't recognize that the rule of God 
the kingdom of God is the rule of God. They just saw it as a literal thing, but actually the kingdom of God is the rule of God. Yes, it was literal in the past through Israel. It will be literal, yes, in the future when the king comes and Jesus comes. But right now it's the rule of God by the spirit of God. In the people of God, in the, in the hearts and lives of those who surrender themselves to Jesus and ask him to forgive their sins and come into their heart as Savior. Hallelujah. Those who are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They didn't quite get it. Paul in Romans 14 verse 17 says, The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, joy, and peace. In the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. So Jesus said repent. For the kingdom of God. He's given them a reason to repent. He demonstrated with all the healings and miracles. Wow that's a good reason to repent. If you saw the sick being healed. And and you heard a message that thrilled your heart. You want to repent. To turn from your ways. And give your life to Christ. We then turn to Acts chapter 2. To the next reference. About it. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39, Peter's preached. The people said, what should we do? They're convicted. Then Peter says, repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Wow. Peter gives us another dimension to the great message of the gospel. He says, repent, turn from where you're going, turn to God. And you know, not only will you find forgiveness, but God is going to send you, he's going to give to you the comforter. He's going to give to you the Holy Spirit. Depending on which version of the Bible you have, the, the Holy Spirit will be described as comforter, helper, counselor. He's all those things. He's a paraclete, the one who comes alongside us and helps us. Praise the Lord. And Peter says, hey, you're not going to be left on your own. You're not going to have to try and live out this Christian life in some kind of religious way by following some, some religious instructions. No, God is going to give you his spirit to empower you. To live this life as God wants you to live it. Wow, that's good news. You know, in Romans, one of my, Romans is said to be, you know, that great theological book of the New Testament. And a lot of the sort of reformed preachers, they love going to Romans. If you'd ask me, what, what chapter do I love the most in the book of Romans? It's chapter 8. I love chapter 8. But to understand chapter 8, you just have to pick up a little bit at the end of chapter 7. In chapter 7, the Apostle Paul, and he, he was a pretty religious guy before his conversion. He was a Pharisee. He was a, one of the Jewish leaders. And this is what he says about himself. He says, Romans 7, verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For the will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil that I will not to do, that I practice. Oh, he goes on in verse 24, O wretched man that I am, 
He says, does anyone identify with that, by the way? You know, you know the good things you should do, but you end up doing the wrong things. Wow, Paul says, that was me. Oh, I was just, I just felt a wretched man, struggling, struggling, struggling. That's what religion does. But then he gets to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He says, hey, I can do it, but God has sent His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit lives in me. His Holy Spirit empowers me. And now I can live the Christian life. You might wonder on that picture, it's behind me, I'm looking at it over there. It's an airplane. You say, what has this sermon got to do with an airplane? Well, if you've got that jet plane, that, I don't know what it is, it's Boeing 737 or something. But if you've got that plane and got some, went to, um, well, well, let's just go to close, let's go to Cardiff Airport. And you've got some cranes and lifted it up. And then let it go. What happens to that plane? There's a law of gravity. It crashes back down on the runway. But if you take the same plane, charge up its engines, its engines are at full power. Brakes are released. It's charging down the runway. The wings are in the right position. What happens? That same plane begins to take off. And rise higher and higher, 20,000, 30,000 feet. Wow. Has the law of gravity gone away? No, no, no. But there's a new law that's in place. That's allowing that to happen. It's called the law of aerodynamics. I'm not trying to explain it to you. I'm not sure I understand it fully myself. But, you know, it's how the airspeed over the wings, what birds do all the time. It causes that lift with a thrust. Oh, we don't go all there. It's all very sort of physics or whatever it is. Anyway, there's a law. The flame flies. There's a new law in operation. Hallelujah. That's it for us as Christians. Yeah, there is a law. Because if you want them, simply the Ten Commandments. And we keep breaking them because Jesus said, even if you think those things, it's like doing them. And we constantly mess up. But God has set another law in motion. The law of life in the Spirit. And as we Invite the Holy Spirit to our lives. Allow Him to influence our lives. Allow Him to empower our lives. We begin to fly. Well, not literally, but you know what I mean? Spiritually. The law is still there. The commandment is still there. But we live above them. We're living in a new plane with God helping us and God with us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That's good news. Wow. When I look at that, Already I think, wow, Christ, you died for me. Your blood washes me from all sin. Your blood declares me righteous and clean. And now you empower me by your Spirit. Wow. This is amazing. This is liberating. I haven't got to be religious. That's boring and restricting and condemning. But I can be free in the Spirit. That's good news, good news, good news, good news. Already I think, wow, that's a reason to repent. You know, no wonder as you read the Acts of the Apostles, you find the apostles wasted no time getting people baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
If we had time, we could run through the Acts and show you that. But you read it for yourself, you'll find every time people got saved, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. Even Saul of Tarsus, when he got saved, it wasn't long before Ananias was in Damascus, the Damascus Ananias was said, now you go and pray for Saul of Tarsus that he might receive his sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mention him because I think he's one of the most bravest, courageous people in the New Testament. When you consider that Saul was persecuting Christians, killing Christians, and he's told, now you go and pray for him. I think that's powerful that he obeyed and he did it, but Saul received his sight and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, God wants us filled with the Holy Spirit. But that's not all in Romans 8. That's not all. You see, as I, I love this chapter. Because not only talks about this freedom in the Spirit. We get on um, into verse 14 to 16. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Wow, this is amazing. Not only am I sin forgiven, not only does God empower me by his Spirit, but God has adopted me to his family, whereby I can call the, the creator of the universe, the God of heaven, I can call him Abba, which is similar to English dad. He can, we can call him Abba, Father. Hallelujah. Oh, I love it. You know, when Jesus told us to pray, he said, say, Our Father. It's nothing more beautiful when we pray to say, Father, Father God. Oh, we come into his presence as children. Oh, this is amazing. I have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God. We call him Father. And not just that. It says in the same verse, um, or thereabout, it says, And we're heirs of the Father, joint heirs with the Son. Wow, in this world you may not get an inheritance. We've got an inheritance in Him. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. We're chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, and sealed. You remember that sermon? Yeah, we're all those things. Praise God. Wow. When I look at all of this, I think, wow, we've got a reason to repent. Repentance towards God, said our text. And I think, yeah, God, you've done all this for me. I just want to turn from my sin. I want to turn from the way I was living, the worldly, religious way or whatever, the sinful way I was living, and I give myself to you because you've done so much for me. There's a reason to repent, a reason to turn around. Repentance towards God, faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not all. I feel like one of those programs where you know, they're trying to sell you something, and that's not all. And that's not all. Because guess what? Those things I mentioned that the people were looking for in the days of John the Baptist, yeah, it's still going to happen. The Lord is coming. The Lord will reign and rule. And there will be a new heavens and a new earth. Praise the Lord. Let's end by just, just getting a glimpse of that. Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 to 5. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a vo loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, 
nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Wow, praise the Lord. Isn't that going to be glorious? No pain? Anybody up for that? No bereavement, no grieving, no sickness. Wow, thank you, Jesus. He said, behold, I make all things new. In 1 Corinthians 2, 9, it said, I has not seen, nor ye heard. Now has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Hallelujah. This is a reason to repent. Oh, that my sin forgiven, to receive the Holy Spirit, to be able to call God Father, to have an inheritance, and to, to have heaven. <laughs> wow. I will reign and rule with Christ before that and heaven. Wow. This is a great reason to repent. It's not repentance from, it's repentance towards. When we get the towards bit right, then we turn from. Because we have every reason to turn from. We wouldn't want to miss out on any of this that I've been sharing. And that's the message. As ambassadors for Jesus Christ, we have to share with others. Maybe they look at us and think, oh, you're going to come down on me. You're going to condemn me. You're going to criticize me. Call me a sinner. What we've got to do is give people a reason to repent. A lifestyle that's so full of God and full of his presence. Even through difficulties, they see us walking through difficulties, through COVID, through whatever. They think, I want what you have. When people begin to say that, we give them a reason to repent. Maybe you've got a boss that's absolutely mean to you and horrible to you. Well, give him a reason to repent by you turning up on time, by you working so well, by you being so joyful, by being such an enthusiastic worker. You think, why are you so different? Give him a reason to repent. If it's not a boss, a school teacher, whatever it is, give him a reason to repent. Hallelujah. Because we're the salt and we're the light. We're the ambassadors of the good news. Of all I shared this morning, this truly is good news. Hallelujah. Hey, let's put some sugar in our cake. Let's put some repentance in our message. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for all that you've done for us. When we begin to look at it properly, and we've probably only touched on it this morning, Father, it takes our breath away that you should die for us. Shed your blood for us. You went through all you did on the cross for us. You rose again for us. Lord, it's so amazing. But if that were not all, you said, look, I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit to help you. And then if that's not enough, you say, and what's more, I want to be part of my family. I'm adopting you into my family. You better call me Abba, Father. Father God is so amazing. And if that's not enough, you say, Wow, and I'm going to give you an inheritance. I'm blessing you. And that's enough. He's saying, I've got a future for you. I've got heaven waiting for you. Father God, we thank you for this glorious good news. The gospel, we praise you for it. We thank you for it. Blessed be your name. You know, as we're praying together, if there should be anyone here this morning, and you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. 
Maybe you've looked at it and you thought, well, I don't know, perhaps I have to become religious. And you've just been hesitating. Hey, it's nothing about that. It's a relationship. It's about experiencing God and knowing God and having filled with his love and power and having his hope for a glorious future and so on and so on. If you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, he's just waiting for you. Just to turn from the way you're going and, and to call upon him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. Be my savior. And wow, and the journey begins. A glorious journey. Thank you, Lord. Pray, Father, if anyone does pray and ask him to like bless them now. And for all of us, Help us be good ambassadors of this wonderful good news of the kingdom that we, as we shared, will cause people to turn to repent in Jesus' name. Amen.